Get really clear on what you forgot and what's yours to do. Abandon hope, all ye who enter here, right? It's time to set aside childish things and the entitlement, the really childish entitlement of being a deconditioned zoo animal of the baby boomer Gen X or millennial generations that were spat out into a world of completely unearned and unsustainable excess consumer abundance and the hyperinflation of narcissistic hothouse flower consumer identities where everybody gets a fucking trophy and can grow up to be president. Let's fucking, let's be really grateful that we got, we won the lottery and were born in those times and places. And then let's, you know, sack the fuck up for a walk on part in the war for carrying forward as many humans as we possibly can through a keyhole event of potentially historic epochal and epic proportions and commit to being defenders of goodness, truth, and beauty and, and, and warriors for light in a time of potential gut wrenching darkness. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul invites you to join in on an adult conversation with Jamie Wheel, co-author of Stealing Fire, How Silicon Valley, the Navy SEALs, and Maverick Scientists are revolutionizing the way we live and work, and author of Recapture the Rapture, Rethinking God, Sex, and Death in a World That's Lost Its Mind. Anyone who has read or listened to these best-selling, highly informative books knows that Jamie is a living encyclopedia of knowledge. Paul and Jamie have a very matter-of-fact conversation about the current state of humanity and the world. It is important to state at the outset of this podcast that anyone looking for sugar-coated, pie-in-the-sky forecasts may be traumatized by the magnitude of truth Jamie shares based on his careful evaluation of the facts at hand. As you are well aware by now, if you are a regular listener to Living 4D with Paul Check, he isn't one to beat around the bush, and Jamie is quick to peel away the virtual reality lenses. As he states clearly, Santa isn't coming, and if there is a second coming of Christ, it will only happen when we come out the other side of the intense level of complexity we have created for ourselves. Paul and Jamie discuss many viable options for making it through the quagmire of complexity and how living a grounded life breathing, sex, embodiment, sacred substances, consciousness-elevating technologies, and music can be used to expand consciousness and find solutions, and even a new myth for our day. But these cannot be used as tools of escapism. Both Paul and Jamie make it very clear that our survival depends on a return to honest sacrifice and real worship, worship of nature, life, the wisdom and hardships of our ancestors, and each other. In this conversation, you will hear both Jamie and Paul express their real concerns for the future of the children of the world, a concern that is very dear to Paul's heart as both a father of three children and a grandfather. This dialogue includes a deep look at love, God, religion, consciousness, and how these concepts interface with reality and can be helpful if engaged realistically and in an adult manner. This is definitely the most intense, hard-hitting look at reality ever featured on Living 4D with Paul Check. But as Paul and Jamie both share, this is no time for feel-good fantasies. Enjoy and be fully present with Paul's honest, no-holds-barred dialogue with one of the greatest minds alive today, Jamie Wheel. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check, and I am super excited. Today we have Jamie Wheel, author of Recapture the Rapture with us, and that's the title of our show, How to Recapture the Rapture. Jamie is the founder of the 
uh, Flow Genome Project. He's the author of Recapture the Ra uh, Rapture, Rethinking God, Sex, and Death in a World that Has Lost Its Mind. And that's <laughs> too true. Mm -hmm. He's the co-author of Stealing Fire, How Silicon Valley, the Navy SEALs, and Maverick Scientists are Revolutionizing the Way We Live and Work. Jamie's an expert on peak performance and leadership, specializing in neuroscience and the application of flow states. I have read and listened to both of Jamie's books, and needless to say, the accolades he receives are well-deserved. To me, Jamie is a rare combination of ancient wisdom common sense, and honesty, coupled with technical savvy. So, Jamie, welcome to Living 4D. It's a great pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you, man. And thank you for that last sentence. That, that's, that's totally novel and much appreciated. I think it's true. Uh, like I said, I've been through uh, both of your books. I've watched a number of videos. Uh, a lot of my friends speak about you aubrey marcus i listened i think you did a podcast with him if i remember right yeah and, for sure and, and kyle as well kyle's a one kyle's probably one of my very best buddies and him and i have done all sorts of neat stuff together and he's a big uh, proponent of my work and a student of mine and somebody that i love deeply so mm. that's great you know jamie I'd like to know who are the people you wrote Recapture the Rapture for? I, I asked that question because I think the people that need it the most are unlikely to read it because their programming <laughs> is, is going to block them from looking at the truth of what's going on in their own lives and in the world. And I know that the people that like me and, and those that are aware enough to read it are the ones that have the intentions to, uh, wake up, grow up, clean up, and show up, as Ken Wilber would say, and, and make changes in the world. But I'm curious, who, who did you write it for? Did you have a, a, a target in mind? Hmm. Well, you know, I mean, for one thing, I've always just kind of trusted that if something is baffling or bamboozling me, you know, or inspiring me or lighting me up, it's, it's highly likely I'm not the only one. And so taking the time to just follow the threads of my own curiosity and bewilderment tends to, to, you know, and if I can do a decent job of sticking the landing and translating that into, into engaging stories and some kind of ordered fact pattern that um, it's often helpful to other folks too. And, and that was some of the most consistent feedback I got about people reading Recapture the Rapture was like, oh my God, you were saying the things that were in my head. You know, like they, these were just sort of crystallizing dewdrops, you know, but and once it's seen, it can't, can't be unseen. It's sort of self-evident. And so that, that notion of translating transformation um, just feels something that I can't help but do. It feels natural and fun and really gratifying. Um, and as far as that sort of a target demographic, it was more like a chronographic. It was like, I don't know who needs this book. But I kind of remember, I mean, I'll never forget the story of the, everybody, <laughs> right? The, the Irish, the Irish monks, right? Like there were these monasteries in Ireland that all through the dark ages had been writing. They, they had had some of the original ancient Greek, uh, you know, basically manuscripts and they had, they had, you know, engaged them on parchment. And of course, parchment was so rare and precious that they would reuse it again and again, and they'd scrape off the old thing and they'd overwrite it, like 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 overwriting on a on a on a DVD ROM or something, right? Yeah. And, those, and those were called palimpsests, and 
And then some of them were discovered that had the writings of Plato and Plato paraphrasing Socrates and Aristotle, and those got to, you know, Genoa and Milan and, 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 and sparked the Italian Renaissance and Neoplatonism on all those things. So that I always found some version of like that as a thought experiment, plus like that Svalbard seed bank, like the one in wherever, like that, that island off Scandinavia that has all the heirloom seeds in a vault, which are now actually sadly flooding due to global warming, which is a little bit too apropos, right? But yeah. nonetheless, there was an idea of, can we reseed, right? Agriculture, can we reseed the planet after some roughy bumpy time? Um, and in the case of the Irish monks, can we reboot um, Renaissance culture. So that's who I wrote it for. And that's also why I kind of crammed two or three books into one was I wanted them actually between two covers. I wanted them to, to be able to exist in 3D form in a way that would allow anyone, anywhere, anywhen who was called to the to the task of rebooting consciousness and culture to have a cradle to cosmos user manual that could actually possibly hopefully help get the job done yeah i i love the book um you know i i thought it was a very comprehensive mix of concepts and ideas and it really showed me that you've done a lot of research but you know you can't write a book like that unless you're coming from a level of depth yourself i i don't think you can so i i really appreciated i thought you covered a lot of ground in in between the covers of that book and like you, you know i think you, you know you could probably have written eight or ten books if you <laughs> use expanded yeah. some of those headings you know yeah 100 percent. now some of these questions forgive me i've got a bit of a lead in just to set the stage I want to talk about the importance of meaning. You speak of the collapse of meaning 1.0 and meaning 2.0 or modern liberalism in your book and videos that I've seen and podcasts that I've listened to. Uh, you also speak of rapture etiologies. You know, Jung warned that whenever a nation's myth breaks down, dangerous isms arrive, as was the case with Nazism, which he watched happen. Uh, you speak of meaning 3.0 as a blend of traditional religion and modern liberalism. You also speak of evolutionary drivers, life, breathing, sexuality, embodiment, substances, and music. Um, though I agree with you on all of these issues of meaning 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0, and feel that the evolutionary drivers you've identified are vehicles to support the process of healing integration, I'd love to share your thoughts on how we go about restoring meaning, not just meaning in the standard sense, because almost everyone that lives their lives uh, or lives out their opinions, be they of a holistic orientation or scientific materialist orientation, has beliefs that produce meaning for them. I'm interested in your thoughts on how we get back to restoring meaning that aligns with the necessities of life on the planet that is based on the laws and principles of nature before we ignite an irreversible catastrophe. So yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah. So here, here's where I'm really driving at. If we, for a touch of more clarity, meaning and dreaming, meaning is really related to values. And Jamie, it seems to me that we make, um, that if we that to make the changes we need to restore homeostasis 
to the relationship between human beings and nature, we need to get clear on what values are life affirmative, not just for human beings, but for the great chain of being. And we need a collective dream that we can all direct our intention into. If we, if, if source is pure potential, then in my philosophy, everything is a yes. So if you want to be an asshole, the answer is yes. If you want to be evil, the answer is yes. If you want to be a Christian, a Buddhist, a Muslim, or a scientific technocrat, or turn your body into a cyborg, the answer is always yes. So we can put pure potential into tension and begin the flow of creative energy and information to create what's best for all of us. So what I'm really driving at is I'm looking at meaning 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. And I'm really saying we're at a point right now with our relationship with this planet where if we don't get clear on meaning as it relates to the principles of morality, which is life affirmative concepts, and create a collective dream together that is based on what we all need together. We need food, we need healthy soil, we need clean water, we need clean air, we need to support the infrastructure of nature. So how do we, what's your thoughts on how we orient ourselves towards these things? Because the other things that you've mentioned as drivers are important, but if we don't get back to these infrastructure meanings, the things that I call are the essentials of the game board. I think we're we're going to maybe dance, sing, and smoke ourselves and cyborg ourselves right into oblivion. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> That's the shortest answer I've ever gotten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I mean, some of this is just that I think we've been using terms differently, but there's actually, there's a happy place to meet in the middle, which is, um, your notion of the dreaming, which you could also describe as like, that's, that's the realm of the imaginal. That is the mytho, that's the mythopoetic, like what big, big, badass, galvanizing, valorizing, great stories can we live into? Like Harold and the Purple Crayon in that children's book, right? How can we draw our reality ahead of us in, into what Charles Eisenstein said that is the better the better world our hearts know is possible? So, so for me, meaning three very specifically is is that hybrid of organized religion and modern liberalism, but specifically the promise of salvation that traditional religions have always offered, and 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 to some extent had provided better or worse psychotechnologies for attaining, and then the promise of inclusion that modern liberalism has offered. So when you pointed out um, embodiment, sexuality, respiration, substances, music, and you said, well, wait, these are, aren't these tactics? Like, aren't these just things we can do? We can sing and we can dance and we can smoke ourselves into oblivion while the wheels come off the world, right? hundred percent, right? You just go, you get lost in the land of the lotus eaters. You get stuck in the hotel, California. You're just in fucking like, <laughs> lizard brain, lizard brain, fuck monkey, hell realms. Yeah. Right. You just, you know, diddling while Rome burns. So let's not go down that road. Right. But the thing is, is that this book is actually an elaborate fucking ruse. And all of it is, is it's snipping the wires to the bomb. Yeah. To, right. <laughs> to beautiful. actually 
to actually get into time traveling sex magic to save the world. So like that is actually what the study that we conducted was about. The chapters in that middle section of the Alchemist cookbook introduced them almost, um, what is the word, ex nihilo, right? Like, like here's just, let's just take a look at the field of respiration, friends. Let's take a look at sexuality, starting with evolution and moving forward. But they're all actually hotwired to the crisscross crash at the end, which is if you engage in a host of very specific neurophysiological protocols, including boosting vagal nerve, nerve, nerve tone, ramping HRV, um, you know, saturating the brain with dopamine and endorphins and oxytocin and anandamide, um, doing a, you know, shifting EEGs into deep delta brainstem resets and, and then load the primate nervous system with pain, pleasure, vibration, sound, orgasm, and a, or a host of other neurological hyperstimulations, and you boost that system all at once, you basically get a you know, you get a you get a global system reboot, which defrags a primate nervous system, which allows us to reboot into homeostatic equilibrium. And oh, by the way, you get lucid dreaming of a near-death experience as the fucking bonus prize. So phenomenologically, it's also bad to the bone, and you have access to hypercognition and unlimited bandwidth information feeds, aka these are the 21st century Western scientific protocol slash cheat codes to the death rebirth initiation practices that have always been mythologized and arguably have been the seedbeds and anchors of civilization, technology, alt, you know, art, culture, and religion for as long as we've been monkeys with clothes and probably a little longer than that. And now you have something, you have the psychotechnology stripped of the socio-mythologies, and now it's democratized and open source. So that would be my hope, and my hope that Meaning 3.0 is actually a fucking flashbang Gnostic initiation into what does it mean to die before we die? And, and Goethe's, Goethe's, which is basically, I mean, Delta EEG, by the way, is, is you know, 0.1 hertz to 4 hertz. It is as slow a neuroelectric frequency as we've got. And both compounds like 5-MeO-DMT, ketamine, nitrous oxide, but also orgasm, also all sorts of other interventions, transcranial magnetic stimulation, direct DC neuroelectric stimulation. There's a, there's, there's a dozen ways. To, to do that brainstem reboot and to slow our neuroelectric activity, aka our brainwave supporting mind, down to that level. And for reasons we don't yet understand because no one's doing enough research there yet, including like Carl Dyseroth at Stanford, who's the father of optogenetics and doing some other fascinating shit in this realm. We're just beginning to access like, oh, wow, that might be the royal road of the alchemists. And once you have that, right, the idea of an authentic death rebirth initiation ritual, like the Lucinian mysteries, like any of the ones through, through, through the ages that persisted, um, we have the chance to be like, oh, I was, <laughs> I was living like, oh, like, holy shit, are you serious? Like, this is real? Why isn't this on the cover of Time Magazine? To like, step one, the gobsmack. But as McKenna said, we cannot give in to astonishment. So you have to be like, okay. So now we can have that Jimmy Stewart in A Wonderful Life or the Ebenezer Scrooge on Christmas morning, death rebirth experience where we come back and we, we choose we're all in. So instead of trying to numb or assuage or divert or distract ourselves or escape from 
these lives of ours, which we didn't choose the first time round, right? Mommy met daddy and had a baby, you know, and made a baby, and out we got spat into a cold and indifferent universe. And the death rebirth practical protocol to become twice born and to actually opt in is a radical reclaiming of our power and our agency and our dedication and our commitment, which is to say, hey, I get it. This whole thing's a fucking irreconcilable train wreck. I've run the numbers, right? I, I've, I've had my heart broken and I'm still standing and I rise up singing. And if I can do that with, with like singing my war song, singing my love song, like today's a good day to die, bitches. Like, and that, that's, not, that's not suicidal tendencies, right? Today is a good day to die is a yee-haw, can I get an amen? It's like uh, my house is in order. I, I am at peace, right, with, with the world. And if this is my last moment, so be it. But that paradoxically, right, unleashes this atom bomb of focus, liberated, fiercely joyful psychic energy that, you know, that Howard Thurman and Martin Luther King called soul force that Gandhi had originally called satyagraha or truth force, because now we're invincible. Now we're immortals and we're just living out the final chapters, right? Saying today's a good day to die. How do I practice resurrection? How do I offer myself fully and freely and courageously in every, to die to every moment? And history can't stop that. Right, You look yeah. at the tides that have turned and when evil has been turned back and when justice has prevailed and when goodness and truth and beauty have been held up, protected and celebrated and, and revived, it's when humans get together and do that. But like that's easier said than motherfucking done, right? There's a reason yeah. we know Malcolm, Mandela and King because there just haven't been that many more. And so how do we decentralize and democratize the chance, it's, it's not the, the requirement and it's certainly not the certainty of this happening, but the chance for the choice to step up and say, say this I remember and today I begin again. Yeah. One of, one of the thoughts that came to my mind uh, while you were sharing there, and I, I really see a lot of beauty in what you're sharing, and, and I live a lot of that way myself, and I, I had to learn to do that because I you know, long story made short, I, I got caught in my passion, but really coming from the background I have and, and the knowledge that I developed, I, I really just looked around everywhere and saw that this things were so fucked up. I'm like, Jesus, people don't know how to eat. They don't know how to exercise. They don't know how to breathe. They don't know how to have fun. I just, so I just <laughs> sort of, you know, coming from a farm and, and being kind of in an environment where you, you see it, it's broken, you fix it, or you don't get to eat. You, you know, there's no farting around on a farm, especially when that's how you feed yourself and make a living. So with this sort of practical, see it, fix it, quit complaining about it, or you're part of the problem, I, I learned to, you know, go out in the world and do something, but I also found myself, um, uh, burning out because I just couldn't seem to help and fix enough at the rate, the, no matter how fast. I mean, I was, I started lecturing in 1988 and I've been teaching soil science and telling people to quit eating garbage and all this stuff. And it was like, I was talking to a fucking wall and it's only now that people are starting, you know, pe pe people had to think they were going to die from COVID to all of a sudden be interested in their health. So I'm like, Oh, look, and isn't this interesting? 
uh, a virus nobody's seen is teaching people to pay attention to their diet for a change. I've had the chance to work with some amazing people and companies over my 37 years of practice. People and companies that are creating life-enriching and ethical products. That work inspired me to partner with many of these companies in our check-approved shop to bring you some incredible products that I know, love, and trust. And this December is Check Approved Month at the Check Institute. Aho! For the entire month of December, our partners are offering you special discounts on check-approved products like pendants from Biogeometry, EMF protection from Aries Tech, essential oils from Essential Oil Wizardry, organic food supplements from Paleo Valley, and ceremonial herbs from Celtic Secret. This is a great way to try out and enjoy products that I know will support you in being your fit, healthy best. And if you still have holiday shopping to do, it's a great way to find presents for your loved ones that everyone, including you, can feel good about. So take a few minutes to explore the Check Approved shop at thechekshop.com forward slash check, C-H-E-K, hyphen approved. That's thechekshop.com forward slash check, hyphen approved. I know you're going to find something that supports you in your health goals and will help you look and feel better and live and love more fully every day. Aho. Historically, myths come through poets, artists, musicians, shaman, and the people that are inherently aligned with your 3.0 concept, no matter what age they were coming from, And it seems to me that if we can engage the very technologies that you've spoken about with the awareness that we have to make a transition because we're, we're really on a gangplank right now, that we could usher in a new myth with conscious intention to be open and receptive to that. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are in that regard. So you say we could usher in a new myth where we're open and receptive to what? To to the myth itself. I don't think you can make up a myth or it's not a myth. It's just a story you're making. An archetype, you don't choose archetypes, they choose you. And archetypes are the foundation of mythological concepts. So I, I'm, what I'm saying is if we do use plant medicines intelligently, we dance, we use sex intelligently, we use technology intelligently but with the intention of being open to what we need to do to bring ourselves back into alignment with that, which is much bigger than us. Mm-hmm. And then do what the aboriginals did with dream time. You know, the aboriginals would sit around in the morning and say, what did you dream last night? And the more people that had the same dream, the more they took it very seriously. So if we went into dream time together, knowing that we need to make a transition, it seems to me that the formula you're talking about may be what it's going to take for us to collectively download the next level of software. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the, really the project is to move from socially defined, right? So I'm living out roles handed to me by others, parents, families of origin, spouses, society, religion, whatever it would be move from socially defined selves to self-authoring selves, right? Yes. Whereby we write, we, we realize that the script of our life is pliable and it's up to us, in fact, to pen the next chapters. And then from self-authoring to surrendering. Yes, we can all enter dream time, but it's fucking easy to fall asleep. 
right. especially it's also you know the other thing that that to, i see to, to, to nod off with a spliff in our lip and our dick in our hand right it's very easy to overstimulate and actually go to the lizard brain fuck monkeys on you know on the, the the island of lotus like bliss and pleasure i mean i mean tim leary's eight neurobiological circuits that robert anton wilson spent a chunk of time unloading right he said the the first four like what is it anal genital gustatory something you know like are all kind of mammals and primates with you know vertebrae and nervous systems but then the, the next four are is where the sort of the alchemical project is and the fifth one the very next one you get to the optional elective human sapiens one is the hedonic circuit which can either be used to then fuel all higher level development aka gorilla tantra or it can be a total cul-de-sac of sensation seeking aka the hotel california so it's very much on us in service of what so the surrendered life is my is a placeholder you could call it anthropos you can call it twice born humans we can say that information is energy is, is light light is energy is information is consciousness is source Right. Um, you know, mm -hmm. and just wheelers, it's from bits as far as the physics that that all, you know, all of the universe is fundamentally at core information. And that by hyper optimizing some very specific frequencies in a primate nervous system, right, aka that deep delta wave global systemic reset we talked about as far as the death rebirth protocols that you like um, everybody from Henri Bergson you know, to Huxley, to even David Eagleman at Stanford, you know, posit some version of this primate nervous system where the prefrontal cortex and, and enough synapses to fucking have subject object self-awareness and theory of mind as it is also conscious gets to actually jack into. And I mean, this is impossible to say because the new age has just trampled these, this terminology, <laughs> but actually specifically a quantum culture and consciousness. So up until now, right, most people bungee jump into peak states. And whether it's historical, you had the esoteric shamans, priest class, whatever, it was very much kept tightly under wraps, but it was super fucking powerful and actually ran and governed most of those civilizations. It was that powerful. But now you've got everybody and their mother is just brain bungeeing to the back of beyond, but we're punctuate, we're puncturing into those fields staying briefly coming back hair on fire and making up all kinds of shit and stories based on shoddy ass research we do on youtube at one in the morning you know and, and right so so the question is is what actually happens to the cartography like how can we become how can we explore the beringia of hyperspace like what does it mean to actually find the land bridge between worlds just like the bering strait was in the ice age right like how do we actually be the psychonauts that are the cartographers of multi-dimensional hyperspace in a stabilized downlink among hominids because what happens and we lose our fucking minds every time it does happen whether it's a dead show or it's a fucking cult or it's or it's kumela in india right you get a or, or a football match in europe you get a whole bunch of humans together sinking on the same thing and rad wild and crazy super awesome and also super potent and also super unstable shit happens but we've we've never objectified and mapped the physics and the metaphysics and the social physics of what does a bunch of people connecting in serial look like and mean so up till now we've had geniuses we've had people brilliantly 
tapping into those realms, but they either express it only in the idiom of their time and place, their cultural baggage or lenses, or they keep that shit on lock. They don't tell anybody, but it's the secret to their success. So it's like how Albert Einstein would go into trance states in his rowboat in Lake Geneva. It's, it's Joan of Arc. It's a, you know, like a through history. It's been the muses. It's been grace. It's been all these, you know, extra, what's the right word? Supernatural descriptors of where do humans get that rad information from that seems to be super useful, really on point, and generally beyond the ken of the mortal who brought who brings it through. And if we just finally get to that place of like, hey, we can all jack into this together. If we're quiet, patient, humble, and kind, then we can potentially stabilize this information field as a ongoing part of our psychosocial sense-making and decision-making. And to me, that looks part, like as, as a thought experiment, you know, you almost need to go back to the origins of language in Neanderthal Homo sapiens, like wherever that shit started happening, you realized, oh, you were still a monkey. You were still a monkey with fur skins. You still had your opposable thumbs, your prefrontal cortex and a vestigial tail. But you also managed to turn those grunts into syntax and vocabulary. And at that point, right, you uploaded a mimetic stack, a stack of compound, compounding and meaning that allowed you to think of past, present, and future. It allowed you to do intergenerational transmission of culture, wisdom, and learning. It allowed you to think signs and symbols and signifiers and religion and, and, and philosophy. It, it allowed all sorts of things, but you were still a monkey and you still had to do all your monkey shit plus run the software of Logos. So now what happens when we upload the software of, of Kairos, where we actually maintain psychological access to the information substrate of the universe, and we do it not just in our infractured individuals having momentary peak states with more or less garbled interpretations of what the fuck that was about, into, hey, we got some pretty good postulates and theorems. They're not laws, but they are reliable enough that we can run experiments and get relatively predictable results repeatedly over time. Let's start living in quantum consciousness and culture. So to me, the advent of language and hominids is the closest potential analog that I can think of, at least for now, with what does this, what might this next step look like? And what happens, and the only way to get there is to be fully surrendered. The only way to get there is to practice resurrection. The only way to get there is to die and be reborn. And then can we be lived by love, which doesn't mean happy thoughts. It's can we be lived by that implicit, the light and information and intelligence that is the tetragrammaton, that is the Ark of the Covenant, that is the burning bush, right? As, as John Lilly said, he said, he said, cosmic love is ruthless, ruthless and, and utterly indifferent. He says, it doesn't give a shit whether we, whether we want to hear its lessons or not. So I'm talking about being like being lived by that kind of love and how does how does that be like actually the point of meaning 3.0 and possibly our only hope for unlocking soul force at scale that allows enough human beings to stand up with courage and honor and dignity and concern and say enough is enough and we are children of god in the garden of eden and and we are going to make this whole once again yeah you know I'm in 100% alignment with you there. What rises up in me is a couple of things. You know, in order for us to to reach that point of of using 
quantum access, hyperspace, whatever we want to refer to it as, but higher structure stages of consciousness on a collective, a broad enough scale that we can bring enough in to put the pieces of the puzzle together to say, okay, we've got a picture emerging that's worth embracing here. I feel that we really need to have a common awareness of what we need now and therefore a collective dream that has to be backed by values. For example, people come to me from all over the world because they've fucked themselves completely up on plant medicines going off into the jungle and doing too much too soon, too frequently, mixing medicines that don't work well together and, and just kind of like kids in a candy store rotting their teeth out and they talk a great show but live a life like like a lost soul. So I think if if we have a common North Star and then we have values and, and, and you talked a lot about these things in your uh, book in, in, in a variety of different ways, you know, dancing all night, waking up shit faced on a dance floor and dragging yourself to work with barf on your face is not a way to go about doing this. But if we can, you know, like uh, Terrence McKenna in his book, The Food of the Gods, talked a lot about how he believes that it was eating mushrooms that expanded the brain and and helped us get out of our ego and, and all these positive things. And I really believe there's a lot to that. But I think we're lacking a collective awareness of what it is that we're dreaming for, what it is that we're dancing for, what it is that we're doing the plant medicines for. It's, and I think your book was a big step in that direction. I, I just feel that it's so fragmented, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, well here, here's my hope. Here, here's, here's the sort of e pluribus unum kind of play. And, and it, this, I mean, I, I don't give this huge odds of happening. I just want to be super clear. I just see it as one potential. It's like, it's a little bit like Dr. Strange where he like runs all the computations for all the multiverses of like the one way Thanos doesn't do the snap. Um, it's a little like that, right? Which is, which is that if, if, and it's a huge honking great if, and everybody needs to check this for themselves, but like just if sort of ontologically, if just at the big scheme of the nature of reality, we believe that the a human exposure or direct experience, and you can call it death rebirth, you could say the light, you could say whatever we want, but, but, but whatever that experience is, you know, gained by a multitude of, of methods or psychotech, right? That if in fact it is self-evident, Right. If, if in fact it is the peace that passeth all understanding. Right. And if in fact it is uniquely tuned or calibrated or decoded, who knows, for each individual who experiences that, then that can be the commonality. That can be the, that's the unum, the one. But then the moment you get down even into the archetypal, right? It splits into duels again, right? You go from sunyata, the void, right? The undifferentiated, right? Diamond sutra down into the sparkles of light and all the colors of the rainbow. And that's beautiful. And so if we can have a decentralized operating system or scaffold, like, hey, if you're going to do religion 3.0, right? If you're going to make meaning about what you just saw, like believe what you want to believe, right? This is, this is polyglot and multicultural. Just never lose the faith, never lose the certainty of what that prime directive was, which is, you know, arguably to be lived by love slash 
you know, support the good, the true, and the beautiful. And you don't need like, and it it is this is a this is the one place in at least my mapping where I'm like, oh, there is actually there is a leap of faith. There is one step you have to take. Like typically, most religions have all sorts, whether it's believing in virgin births or all life is suffering. There's a whole lot of like upfront assumptions you got to sign off on for the whole fucking system to work and boot up. Right. But in this one, which is direct agnostic Gnosticism, right? Like go and have a Gnostic initiatory death rebirth experience. And it's agnostic. We're not going to tell you what it means because it is, it is unenglishable. Other, yeah. Otherwise, you, uh, yeah. You, uh, yeah. Uh, if you start telling people what it means, then, then you've, they, they forego their own experience. That's sort of the trick right there. It's like, you know, that's, that's why, like, Lao Tzu says the true Tao can't be spoken, but but here's the part that I can tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no, no ten things tell you know, or or no, yeah, no ten things tell nine, right? Like yeah. or, you know, so 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 you can do that, right? You can have that agnostic part, which is which is you know almost like the 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 that old Grateful Dead tune, like you know, if, if I knew the way, I would take you home, right? But that that that's the knot in the wing of the player, which is, of course, I'm playing the song. Of course, I wrote this song. Of course, I fucking know the way, right? Or yeah. I wouldn't be channeling this to you right now. However, right, the not on the wink is this, that path is for your steps alone. We are giving, we are giving, we are enforcing sovereignty and agency. Now, but here's the thing. If you accept that an encounter with source is basically autodidactic, meaning it's going to teach you what it needs to with no efforting or point. It just does what it does. It, 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 is, it is inescapably teleological, meaning it's got a fucking point. It's got a story. It's often got a wicked sense of humor, which is a whole other category. I think entire you know, departments of philosophy could ponder the yonder on that one. Like, Why does the cosmos slash universe slash source slash light, like whatever you want to call it, why does it, how does it bust our balls so amazingly well with such a mirthless sense of humor, right? So, but even yeah. so, so let's, let's, let's understand autodidactic self, self-disclosing and generally bang on fucking perfect. Then you can just back off and go, okay, now we don't need a unifying narrative. We just need scaffolding and guidelines for everyone to, for, for the Build-A-Bear workshop right? Because everybody's going to architect their own stories. This doesn't mean every single individual. This could be in cultures, communities, nations, what, you know, entire re- you know, rebooting existing traditional communities of practice and faith as well. But it does mean here's like the WordPress, you know, like here's a template that lets you build a website, even if you don't know how to code and your website will work if you use WordPress, because we've guaranteed that all the backend works. And so that would be my sense is like, how do we do the WordPress of postmodern religion in hyperspace, right? That serve as initiatory practices that let people defrag their nervous systems, metabolize their grief and integrate trauma. So we don't all become decompensated mess, hot messes, right? That provide reliable techniques of ecstasy that allow access to peak non-ordinary states of heightened information processing. And typically what Philip K. Dick called an amnesis, the forgetting of the forgetting, so we reboot our point. We remember our purpose. We pick up any drop balls and loose threads that we may have dropped. And we're like, fuck yes. Okay. I remember this time and I'm not going to drop it. And then we also forge tight, high trust coherence with fellow hominids, starting with pair bonds and radiating out into clusters and communities 
and countries in the world. So how do we do that? It's just, I think it's just, it's really, I said, just a continuation of your life's work, which was people don't eat right, they don't breathe right, we don't worship right. Right. right, and we and we tend not to socialize super well. We don't collaborate really, really well. So, what happens to stably downlink, persistent? The 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 information usually only accessible through non ordinary states, right? And yeah. how do we start stabilizing that information feed and orienting to it and through it more consistently, more robustly in human nervous systems psychology and you know, and social structure, and just generally grow the fuck up. It's time. Hi, everybody. You know, people from around the world are constantly asking me where they can find organic foods and supplements that are actually organic, not just some fake impersonation, which is sadly so common in the marketplace today. My most common suggestion is go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, where you can find a wide range of excellent nutritious products made from certified organic source materials. Organifi has superfood drinks that actually taste great, <laughs> unlike most, immune support products, excellent high-quality protein powders, digestive support, joint support, liver support, green juice, hormonal support, and menstrual ease nutrition formulated by a team of female herbologists for women and more. My family and I and a significant number of my clients and friends and students from around the world use and love Organifi products because they're nutritious, taste great, and unlike many products, you actually get what you pay for. Hallelujah! I love Organifi's high values and high quality products and they're excellent for athletes, children, and the whole family. There's no better investment than investing in your own health and well-being. And when it comes to investing in my health and the health of my family, I go to Organifi. If that's not enough to make you want to explore all the amazing products waiting for you at Organifi, I'd love to sweeten the deal for you by offering you a special Living 4D with Paul Check discount of 20% on any of Organifi's excellent certified organic super clean nutritious products by using the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K20 on checkout. That's Check 20, all caps, on checkout. I hope you enjoy Organifi as much as my family and I do. One of the things I do in my teachings for my students is I try to define things that are diffuse, like God and love and these big, huge words. And I meditated for a few years on what love is. And one of the definitions that my soul passed into me was, Love is consciousness becoming aware of itself. And I think that why I'm bringing that up is because, you know, love is such a, a, a massive word. And it, it's to me, it's a real, it's the bonding force of the universe. But I think that if we use everything you're talking about and we know that love is the bonding force, that if we can get into these states where we're not trying to prove something, but we're aware of what we all need, then consciousness becomes more aware of itself in us. And ultimately, we begin to fuse with the impetus for life. We begin to fuse with what's behind it all so that we can actually be more tuned to um, trying to find the right words to to the ultimate direction of the unfolding of life itself so that we're not paddling upstream all the time or you know wiping each other out trying to figure out what it's all about and and I think that it 
all of these things are really um, oriented around um, understanding love and consciousness and using them to create something that's good for all of us instead of just a few billionaires. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, but I mean, what, what you saying that right brings 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 to mind for me, like this. Th there's almost this. And I'm sure it's, this isn't the case. I'm sure this is the limitations of human perspective, prison house of language kind of stuff. But nonetheless, right? On the one hand, if you take a look at the emergence of consciousness, I mean, and some people, right? I mean, information theory of the universe in physics is one level of abstraction. And then there's another one where people go as far as, you know, David Bohm and others of, of you know, the universe simply is consciousness. Let's just, you don't have to go all the way there, just, just consider it for a moment. And you're like, okay, so what is that conscious impulse? That is the same thing that gave birth to the Big Bang and to galaxies and, you know, and, and black holes that also gave birth to single-celled organisms to, you know, our buddy Bruce Damer, who's a PhD with NASA has been articulating a new theory, not just that there was thermal vents in the ocean, but actually it was hot springs. And it was, it was hot springs that were the, the origins of life. And there's some compelling fossil evidence to support this, but it was just either way. It's the, it's the idea. It's, it's not even just the hot springs. It's the bathtub ring around the hot springs where life began. And you're like, oh shit, that's really interesting, right? Like, because mm -hmm. it, it was the fission fusion. It was the heating up and slamming molecules together and then the cooling down and letting them drift apart and back and forth and back and forth. And you're like, oh shit, well, that holds up, right? Like life is always most generative at ecotones or edges between things like tidal pools for the ocean and the beach, meadows between forests and forests and savannas, all these things. Those are the richest habitats and it's the backing and the forthing. And you realize that that backing and forthing is effectively, you know, all the way down, it, you know, boils down to the cosmic fuck, right? Like it like literally exactly. sperm, sperm meets egg, flash of zinc and green light, like literally fiat looks like when the sperm fertilizes the egg, there is a green flash of light of photons that come from the zinc chemistry. And you're like, holy shit, this is crazy. And then you realize, oh, everything in life is fundamentally the, you know, is in service of the increasingly coherent propagation of novelty, right? And that's the fission fusion. That's the, that's the hot springs pulsing. That's the cosmic fuck, right? And it is also capitalism. It is also algal blooms. It is also anything that goes exponential and basically has a boom bust cycle. It's always creative destruction, Joseph Schumpeter, right? Economics, creative destruction is how new things happen. We couldn't have had Facebook and Google if we hadn't had the O1.com bust because they laid gajillions of dollars of fiber optics and then all went tits up on how to fucking create a business model around it. But all that fiber optic shit was the substrate in 2008 and 10 when with the rise of social media giants in Silicon Valley, right? So we see this everywhere. And on the one hand, from some level, you can be like, oh, this is Shiva and Shakti. This is just the cosmic fuck. This is congruent with so many indigenous traditions where the universe, surprise, surprise, began with a big bang, right? You know, yeah. deities, deities getting it on. And, and of course, it has ever been thus, you know. But on the other hand, and this is my point about like surrendering to the universe, surrendering to light, surrendering to love, you're like, well, wait a second. On the one level of the stack, right? Light does appear to be omnisentient, generally badass, and, and weirdly, surprise, at least as I've experienced it, and as you know, much art and philosophy and culture and religion seem to also testify, um, sort of surprisingly aligned with happy outcomes for us. 
like love, generosity, compassion, all sorts of, you know, even, even e ecological sensitivity, all sorts of like groovy pro-social sentiments can come from those encounters. But then on the other hand, right, that propagation of novelty that can show up in an anaconda, it can show up in an amoeba or a virus, it can show up in a star nebula, right, is yeah. stone fucking cold. Yeah. And, and doesn't care at all for our human sentiments, sensibilities, timeframes, or priorities, right? Nature is red in tooth and claw, right? Life's a bitch and then you die, and evolution is amoral, right? And I think in some respects, therein lies the human condition, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's that the, the Nisargadatta thing of like, love tells me I'm everything. So like, that's, the, that's following the light. That's really super beautiful and everyone's special cupcake, you know? And then wisdom tells me I am nothing, we are just fucking little little monkeys with clothes waiting for the heat death in an uncaring universe, right? And, and then he says, and between those two banks, right, of feeling like everything or feeling like nothing, love versus wisdom, he said, flows the river of my life. And so to me, like coming awake now as humans, which we've had, which is clearly happening at a scale, I, I think at a scale, just sheer gross numbers that has never happened in history. Right? Yeah. Percentages, who knows, but like at scale, never this many people accessing non-ordinary states and possibility spaces. How do we integrate both what feels really harsh, like we are just fucking food for the worms, even if we are also stardust, right? Versus the poignant, utterly unique, deeply profound experience of coming into ourselves right now, at the end of time, just in time to look around and go, oh shit, this very same techno-economic civilization and society with all of these whiz-bang tech, incredible information stores and, and, and instantaneous communication that has supported me to get to this place of self-aware, self-referential initiation into the great chain of being, as you might say, is also potentially responsible for having cooked our goose and overshot the fucking mark, and it's T-minus till Mayday. What? Right, like that's that's the coming alive versus staying alive. It's a, it's the biggest mind fuck I think that any any generation has had to wrap their heads around, maybe ever as people. I think so, and I think one of the drivers behind that is that the rate of information flow relative to what the human nervous system has been oriented to for the entire process of evolution. It's like it's like we're trying to pump the ocean through a straw under high pressure. And something's got to give. And the question is, you know, can we, can we uh, organize ourselves in a direction that uh, facilitates survivability before we destroy ourselves with our genius? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I, I had that experience going skiing in Colorado in the springtime and landed in at DIA at the airport in Denver. It was crazy hot, scary hot, like 75 degrees. And I'm like, man, I'm in a t-shirt about to go skiing, driving up the mountain, seeing all the, you know, muddy river flow. And this was like, mm, maybe mid-April. It shouldn't have been. There was like mid-April that felt like late May is kind of how it felt. And then I'm riding up this chairlift, you know, with giant steel pylons and a big concrete pads and whizzing and whirring and depositing us up the mountain. I'm like, holy fuck, this is, this is military industrial complex surplus. These are the guys from the 10th Mountain Division that trained to fight in Italy during World War II. They came back and founded Aspen and Vale. 
and birthed the entire recreational ski industry. Not, not you know, Nordic, can we get around during the winter and not post hole up to our hips in, in snowbanks, right? Like not that kind of skiing, but like get dragged up to the top burning fossil burning dinosaurs to get you there, to slide down on like P-Tech centered bases with like hardened steel edges that are, you know, the funner, the faster, the more rad, let's put all of our energy into CAD design fucking super toys and realizing, oh shit, like this is a, this is one hell of a flash in the pen, like 50 years of downhill alpine mechanized skiing where we just as, as literally like monkeys with vestibular systems are like fucking G-forces are rad, right? And, and railing turns and pulling a lot of Gs and floating air and flipping and spinning and twisting is some of the most fun we can possibly have. Let's make that happen at scale. And then that very same civilization that's given us this glimpse of this joyful dance down mountains right? Sliding on frozen water is also responsible for the fucking demise of that very possibility on this planet. Like that's a fuck ton to wrap our heads around and keep our day jobs. It is, it is. And, and, you know, there's a million ways I can go with all that. Uh, You know, one of the challenges I see is that a, a lot of the tech wizard billionaire type people seem to be very atheistic and don't give a fuck about nature. It's just an expendable resource to them. So they're like pushing everything to the fucking max, but they don't seem to have a sense of connection to the fact that we are, as you would say, apes with computers in our hands. And we still depend upon the integration and survivability of the, of the ecosystem of, of the world of, of nature itself. So it's like, Everything that's giving us all these joy toys is also, uh, unfortunately, driving the destruction of the playground that we use them in and, and trying to find a, a, a balance between these two because it, it feels to me like humanity, uh, even the geniuses, are, are like teenagers that just got a hold of their mother's car and are laying rubber everywhere and sliding sideways and about to destroy the car and have to walk home with broken limbs to say, mom, uh, and create some story about what happened to her car. But this time the car is the fucking planet and it's too late. So there's, there's a lot of dynamics, you know, it's like we're juggling way more chainsaws than we can handle right now. Mm -hmm. And yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's a whole bunch of like strap on the big boy pants. Yeah, it is because, because the, the classic move is to go, Oh, you know, boo, boo hoo, basically, right? Techno industrial civilization was a lie, and we're kind of in this unreconstructed family dynamic where we're mad at mommy or daddy. Then there's someone else to blame, and we want to suck our thumbs, and maybe we go back to being hunter gatherers, or maybe we go back to being farmers, or maybe we, you know, do a retreat in Bali, you know, or Costa Rica, and we try and ret- retreat, right? Mm-hmm. But actually, and this is the big boy pants part. There is no fucking retreat, and not just for no. the obvious reasons that there's 8 billion people or that we've so thoroughly degraded the carrying capacity of the ecological systems that used to happily support 500 million to 1.5 billion people through the Holocene, right? And not even mm-hmm. if we couldn't even go back if we wanted to, the carrying no. capacity is too compromised, yeah, right? But on the other hand, and this is, you know, study the, you know, 400 years of European colonialism, which was my subject area in grad school, because I was trying to fucking answer this question a quarter century ago, which was, where did we go wrong? How can we go back? Where was there a fork in the road, right? And Yuval Harari and, and, and uh, um, 
uh, Chris Ryan and Sex at Dawn, you know, like like they've all they, they, there's this current somewhat recently retrendy in in public conversation the idea of like oh patriarchy monogamy you know in, you know industrial imbalances that all began with the advent of agriculture 11 12,000 years ago that was the fork in the road we should go back to but then you study the intersection of technologically advanced civilizations against indigenous civilizations and it does not fucking go well for the indigenes and you fast forward to now and you start looking at x risks and you look at ai and quantum computing and crispr gene editing and a thousand and one other things and even if you wanted to go fucking play engine right you you're full rousseauian retro romantic orientalist or 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 or, or or you know, primitivist fantasy projection—the classic Western Civ thing, right? We fucked ours up, so now we fetishize other people's. Even if you wanted to play that balls deep, you'll get picked off by fucking infrared Apache helicopters, Hellfire missiles, right? And 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 your your crypto wallet that is supposed to be so radical and subversive will just get turned off. You know, like your fucking your your cell phone, like like Assad did in Syria. You know, after the uh, after the Arab Spring. You know, like the idea that wacky things like cryptocurrencies are somehow going to be able to poke a finger in the eye of Sauron and dodge, dodge a military industrialized tax collecting sovereign state are ludicrous. And, and yet at the same time, we can't turn our way from technological innovation because if you, if we don't maintain symmetry, parity, even at the level of guerrilla warfare, then the you, you, you're only going to see, and this is actually our buddy Daniel Schmachtenberger's conceptualization, but you know, you, you, it's basically hegemony or catastrophe. You either end up with the China model of full you know, mega state surveillance societies, tops down controlling of all the humans, right? Or you end up with, you know, transnational, multinational corporate digital hegemony, right? This is this is the Facebook to WhatsApp to, you know, to, to that whole kind of world. Or you end up with unintentional perturbances, specifically catastrophe. And that in those cases, the tsunamis, the fires, the floods, the, all the destabilization, the decrease in, you know, the crop failures and collapses, collapses of fisheries, all that shit fucks everybody, not equally, but just indiscriminately. Yeah. Right. And you've got a situation that's out of control in that way. So the question is, is how do we weirdly have a retro-romantic turn where we go back and reconnect our dissociations from, from nature and natural rhythms and sustainable, sustainable ways to interact with this planet and its carrying capacity, and at the same time still keep pushing forwards if for no other reason than to not seed ground and give away our capacity to shape or positively influence the unfolding of some of these utterly exponential and potentially existential technologies that are already among us. Yeah, it's it's uh it's a razor's edge this whole Whew. thing. It's so razor, crazy. Yeah, it's razor sharp, it's exquisitely dangerous and there's not many people that are equipped to walk on a tightrope that thin. And inevitably, there's going to be uh, fallout. There's going to be loss, uh, and and maybe that's what's necessary as part of the uh, alchemical, you know, separation. You know, we got to separate shit out and say what keeps and what what goes. And I don't think there's any way to do it other than marrying ancient wisdom and modern technology. And I think 
honestly, I really believe we could use the same technology that's got us in trouble to solve the problems, but we have to start orienting ourselves consciously toward the fact that we can't just keep living on iPhones and eating junk food and thinking it's all going to go away because it isn't. It's going to get fucking worse. And, you know, I keep telling people you can't eat fucking money. And it seems like everyone that's got the power to make changes is just so interested in making more and more money that they're not realizing. I mean, you look at Bill Gates's ideas of farming and biotechnology and it's just it's ludicrous i mean i'm i'm a guy that knows a lot about science soil science and farming and the ecosystem and what he's got up his sleeve is an absolute fucking disaster uh period Mm. and so my point here's a guy that's got the money to feed the world and change the world but he's trying to control the fucking world and digitize it and, and monetize it while destroying nature even further. And I'm like, okay, well, somehow we got to get guys like this on board with the bigger dream because he's going to wipe his own fucking life out and his own family and a lot of other people. And there's a lot of Bill Gates uh, lookalikes with the way they think and behave. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that, you know, unfortunately uh, I, I don't, I don't, I know people don't like hearing shit like this, but I think that we're going to have to, um, there's going to be a lot of loss of life before everybody wakes up to the fact that, okay, our strategy's not working very well. We really got to get back to the drawing board. I'm sure most of you are aware, even though you may not like the taste of organs, that organ meats are extremely important and good for you. And I've got great news for you. Paleo Valley makes an amazing grass-fed organ complex that's unique and better than anything I've ever found out there. So much better, I wanted you to hear right from Autumn Smith, its creator, exactly what you're going to get from their grass-fed organ complex. Autumn, get us informed on why we should be using your amazing organ complex. Okay. Well, like you said, organ meats are nature's multivitamins. And when we use them, we feel this energy and this stamina. And most people don't like the flavor. So what we did was we took grass-fed and finished organs like liver and heart and kidney, and we just put them into capsules so that you can get all the benefits, the beautiful benefits of organ meats without actually having to taste them, without liver burps, of course. And they're just freeze-dried. So again, they're not processed heavily in any way whatsoever, and they are sourced from American farmers using regenerative agricultural practices. And all you have to do to try it out is go to our website at paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can use the code CHECK15, and that's lowercase c-h-e-k-15. And I sincerely hope you love it. We are lazy and efficient to a fault. Right. So just like a sort of a hummingbird will only fly 15 yards for nectar because any more than that, the calorie burn is the juice ain't worth the squeeze. And for us, like we are not wired to be able to process long term, like intergenerational, exponential, existential trends or threats. It doesn't compute. So all of our reward circuitry and all of our pattern recognition and sense-making is fucking rooted to I, me, and mine here and now. And anything beyond that, right, requires really fucking squinting and gritting our teeth and forcing the capacity to compute. 
something else. But even if we can, which many thoughtful people are, you know, Bill McKibben's been at this for decades. You've got Elizabeth Colbert writing stuff for The New Yorker. You've got David Wallace Wells writing in New York Magazine and elsewhere. You've got plenty of people tracking the unwind with good degrees of legibility and visibility. But then you've got two and four year political election cycles in most of the developed West, and you've got a quarterly reporting stock market. And those two things completely undermine any capacity to start holding a longer horizon and, and therefore working backwards from unacceptable outcomes to mandatory decisions. They, that, that cannot hold because the structures and the allocations and distributions of power in quasi-free market representative democracies is thoroughly broken. Yeah. And, you know, we've got all this dopamine hit reward system through the social media systems and brainwashing technologies and mind capturing nets that work super well, but they're, they're not, they're not taking us into a direction of awareness of what binds us all together sustainability and sustainably so people are are kind of like getting further and further down the the fucking rabbit hole it's like beginners in a raft not aware that they're headed for grade five rapids they don't have helmets and they don't have any uh swimming abilities and and the number one maxim of of river guides is rigged to flip Right? No yeah. matter, right? No matter how tranquil you think the day is going to be, rig that fucking boat so it can hang onto your shit when it's upside down in a rapid. Just do it. You but never we haven't. Know. No. No, no. And that's, that's global supply chains, which we're seeing the gunging up of right now. They've traded um, re- redundancy or stability for efficiency. So everything's just in time overnight, and the whole thing is held together with WD-40 and duct tape. Like it's just, it's just, you know, tacking out at 10,000 RPM and can throw a rod at a moment's notice. And that's our entire civilization. And we're lazy and efficient and we're like the hummingbirds and we, and we've got a whole bunch of mistimed or miscalibrated feedback loops, like the stock markets in our election cycles to say nothing of marshmallow failing the marshmallow test and wanting, uh, wanting mine now. So like, Tim Wu's stuff at, at Columbia, you know, where you know he's talked about net neutrality, he's talked about information technologies, and he's also talked about the advent of consumer marketing in the 20th century and its origins and what is kind of its deep structures. And they were all evangelical and snake oil salesmen. They were they they were minute they were preachers. They were revival preachers. And if you think about basically madmen to to Facebook ads. They follow that same redemptive arc, right? You've fallen from grace. You've got chronic halitosis or dandruff, or or you don't look good in your you know low rise jeans. Um, here's the promise of redemption, right? Here is the collection plate, and then you will be you know escorted to the Lucinian fields forever after. You will be delivered to heaven or sex or self esteem or whatever it would be. But like we are a century deep into being specifically atomized, right? Cut off from kin, kinship networks, from broader senses of self or responsibility, um, problematized, like literally you didn't even know this was a thing. What's restless leg syndrome? Like now I think I have it. Like where the fuck did that come from? Did all suddenly, so, you know, like to say nothing of insomnia, to say nothing of like diseases literally cooked up to then sell us the solution and the conditioning and priming that you should deserve, you deserve and should expect right? Instant gratification or it's Karen calling the fucking manager, 
right? So like that's our worldview that we accidentally got raised in. The whole thing of like your average third grader can identify something like, you know, 200 global corporate logos. And, and less doesn't the, recognize common farm animals and plants yeah. and foods. And the, yeah, then the leaves of like less than three trees. You're like, whoops, right? Whoops, whoops. That's not a good way to train monkeys. And so we have been, we are deconditioned zoo animals, right? With misaligned feedback loops. We, you know, E.O. Wilson at Harvard said that that whole thing of like, we've got paleolithic emotions and medieval institutions and godlike technology. We're 50,000 years out of date on our hardware. Like that's how behind we are on trying to even process what the fuck is going on right now. And then our institutions, stock markets and, and, and you know, and politics, you know, and, and education, just easy ones we've already been talking about to say nothing of corporation, cor corporations, right, are medieval totally maladapted to the current situations and then godlike technologies where now anybody the cold the, the the you know the the infamous 400 pound dude with a laptop you know in his mother's basement like that guy can blow us all up to say nothing of just the inexorable excesses of a fossil fuel you know basically a petro state economy which clearly isn't you know doesn't have an indefinite runway no, and it's and 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 that's another freaking game because we've had free energy technology. I got books in my library going back to the 1800s with guys like Keeley developing perpetual motion machines, and Tesla's technology was confiscated. We got they've got the technology to get rid of all this fossil fuel, but they're making too fucking much money off of it. So they're trying to squeeze every goddamn drop of of what they can get out of this planet, and and you know. It's, to go back to your analogy with the WD-40 and the duct tape, here's the problem. Somebody sprayed the WD-40 on before they put the duct tape on. <laughs> and that never makes for a good barnyard fix. You, you know, so this all leads really beautifully into my next question, exploration, dialogue point, whatever it turns out to be. And it's this, Jamie, it's easy to get too close to the big screen of life and get lost in the pixels. Clearly, for as long as human records go back, we've been going from one more to another, one ca catastrophe to another, and it seems we've left a long trail of destruction. But viewed from a big picture outlook, we are all an expression of source, and we can validate scientifically that we are, and that we are not separate from the universe. So, Jamie, when, if we took a look at humanity from the expression of the whole, what do you feel the whole is expressing, learning from, and exploring? In other words, if we just get rid of the word God and say we're all the universe having an experience or love is consciousness becoming aware of itself, what do you propose or ponder that the universe is experiencing through us? Because every atom in your body comes from all over the fucking universe. There's no one point you can say Jamie or Paul came from or anybody else. I mean, I can break this right down to the chemical elements in the periodic table and if you track them all back it goes everywhere in the universe so we are every one of us is the whole universe having an experience so the question is from the depth of the power of jamie wheel's mind what the hell do you think the universe is trying to experience through us <laughs> yeah i mean holy shit right that's a good one um and i think iris schreiber who's a, a professor at stanford has written about this this just the true ephemeral nature of our selfhood, 
she's like, look, man, you know, and, and most people will know this. I'm sure you've, you've probably riffed on these ideas before, but the idea that, you know, every whatever depends on the parts of our body, but every three to seven years, most of our cells have died and been recycled out. It's a little bit like, like Theseus's ship, you know, like Theseus originally has a ship and you remove it plank by plank and nail by nail and sailcloth by sailcloth. And at what point is it still Theseus's ship when nothing is original? And that is us. We are, we are all Theseus's ship. Like, like who, what, who I was as a seven-year-old or a 27-year-old has no, no physical correlation with me. And then you're like, oh, well, okay, well, that's, that's fine. That's cellular regrowth, de death and regrowth. I am the sum total of my lived experiences, AKA my memories. And then you're like, nope, muck, like all the research on memory shows they're totally plastic, completely unreliable, change constantly over time. And every time we have them or revive them, we rewrite them and overwrite them. So that shit is plastic and squishy as any, as, as fuck. So then you're like, well, who am I then? Right. And so, you know, and Iris Schreiber's point is we're sort of more a pattern or a process than we are nearly what we would think of as a skin encapsulated ego, as a distinct, reified, static identity. We are merely the artist formerly known as Prince, right? <laughs> Cavorting through the universe with some. Hopefully, we don't finish the way he did. <laughs> yeah. Dude, fentanyl, man. Fucking hell. Fentanyl has taken out more good people. That was that was Tom Petty, that was David Bowie, like that was Prince, that was Michael Jackson. Like every single one of those had fentanyl in the mix. Throw in fucking Belushi with just a, you know an, o, an OD on. I mean, basically opioids suppress respiratory drive and are broadly no bueno. Mm -hmm. Well, you Holy know, I, Einstein said the field is the sole governing agency of the particle. So when you talk about the ship. Mm -hmm. And the parts being replaced, soul, soul, from my perspective, is the organizing field that makes Jamie, Jamie, and Paul, Paul, no matter how many atoms of water or air or food come in and go out, or how many, you know, you kill, you turn over 2 million blood, red blood cells a second. So the, the, the really, the, the question, if I reframe it, is if the, if the field is the sole governing agency of the particle and the field is consciousness, then all I can say is that consciousness is exploring itself. It's actually just like a kid in a in a in his dad's workshop saying, "Oh, what does this torch do? And what does this grinder do?" And you know, it's like the old saying. Um, if if uh, I can't remember how it goes, but it's about you throw a hand grenade in a print shop and a Bible jumps out the back. You know, and it's it's like we're. I guess what I'm saying is, it seems from. 60 years of my life looking deeply into all this stuff that I have to back this up with a statement. All, many religions say that God is love and, and the highest form of love is unconditional love. The problem with unconditional love is it says yes to everything. By definition, there's no condition. So it seems to me that everything's just fucking grand. Die, cool. Fuck it, kill it, ride it, suck it, plant it, grow it, love it. Be a good boy, be a bad boy. It's all just game on. It seems to me, from a realistic perspective, it's just fucking game on. And whenever the outcome is, it's back to the field and we just start over again. I mean, right? These are the rubs of timeframes and perspectives, right? Because at the sense of we are just compost, right? We are the cosmos as a way to know itself and we are just worm food simultaneously and how do we <laughs> how do we reconcile those right and on the one hand it is all right i mean th there's the notion i think people get um 
tripped up on this, typically because of definitions of just nature, right? They're just even just the word nature, right? So you'll have people that are, you know, for instance, focused on the climate, focused on eco ecology, and are like, nature is 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 at risk. Nature is going down, right? But then you then you have the Stephen Pinkers of the world and the kind of techno optimists, and they're like, no, nature as in human nature. Right, vaccines and smartphones and poverty levels and you know and standards of living and all these things is going up, and then you have folks that are coming to your your neck of the woods, which would be you know universal nature or Buddha nature is perfect exactly as it is, and so we've actually got three terms all crowding the same word nature or reality, right? And when we assign yeah. things are getting exponentially better, just look. And you see all the pro-social stuff. Things are getting exponentially worse. You can't deny it. Polar bears on ice floes and wildfires. Things are perfect exactly as they are, right? They are, they are, they are interwoven truth claims at different levels of the stack. So while we may be a way for the universe to know itself, and while we may be, who knows, maybe even all of our thrashing about and suffering and striving and failing and getting back up and striving again is actually essential spice for the stew. Who knows? Right, but but on the other hand, um, it is still our lot. We can't go cross-eyed and fuzzy, and just peace out to cosmic time frames. Like people who would be like, "Oh, maybe this is the Kali Yuga." Oh, look at the forest fires. After the forest fires, there's green shoots. Right? It's like that's fine, but you don't want to be Bambi, right? Stuck in one of those five alarm blazes, mm -hmm. right? So so if it if it affects me or it affects my children's generation. You can make a brass tax argument that those are the only two perspectives that actually matter to humans in choice making. Everything else is abstract and academic. Now it doesn't it doesn't have to stay that way, but you got to work to bring in a transgenerational perspective. Right? And as far as like what are we here to do? I mean that I think Philip Philip K Dick who you must you must be familiar with. I'm familiar with him, yeah. You know, he's got a beautiful thing where he talks about the Taoists and the Gnostics and he talks about kind of original sin as this persistent narrative plot point, right? In our dreaming, you know, in our mythopoetics. And he's like, "Well, what the fuck's that about?" He's like, "I don't actually think we fell from grace. I think actually something else went on." And he uses Taoist terminology of yin and yang, but he's basically saying, "Hey, the yin was the imminent, that was this earth, right, matter, and the yang was clear, clear light consciousness. And, and that the yang actually noticed in, in this division from the one, right, they split into the two, and in, in that noticing was like, oh shit, the yin has forgotten its true nature, right? It's literally almost too dense. And then he tells the story of how the yang actually has to voluntarily choose to descend into incarnation, into matter, into 3D, in order to remind and liberate its counterpart, right? So he, he has this beautiful essay called, We Are the Pluriforms, like the plural or multiple forms of God. And he, and he says, I'll just read you the last couple of sentences, because he says, but consider who we really are, or once were and will be again. Who else can do it? There is no one else. There is only the yin, which does not know. The part of the organism that knows must help the part that doesn't know, but this means abandoning its own knowing, right? It yep. becomes what it helps, a dreadful irony, one that hurts. And this is his ana analog to original sin. This is why we feel like cosmic orphans, because we chose this, but we forgot that we chose this, right? Yep. And he says, but it is only temporary, just for a little while, and then we go home for all eternity. It's, it's very similar to 
something Plotinus says. I've studied Plotinus quite extensively because I find him to be quite potent and my yeah. heart yeah. compass says North Star. Mm-hmm. And Plotinus says that the soul's greatest addiction is to matter. He says the soul without matter cannot know itself. It's like pure consciousness. So it finds itself able to play like an artist with no color palette can't paint. So he describes how the soul falls into matter and it gets so enamored with itself that it forgets that it's not the matter, but it was there to experience the matter, to create with it, to, you know, imagine a sculptor that, that forgets that he's the sculptor and, and becomes the statue and dies sitting there posing, you know? And so I think that part of from from a Plotinus perspective, part of what's happened is is that we have f- fallen asleep in this material existence, but we've lost touch with the other aspect of ourselves, with the consciousness, the awareness aspect that is there to use the matter to create awareness of what it really is instead of being drunk and lost in the matter like people that are just shit-faced drunk all the time are doing so many psychedelics. They sound cool, but they live like idiots. Yeah, exactly. And right, I mean, and, and that's been the case for so many mystery schools and wisdom traditions and a ton of fiction, everything from the, you know, the, the obvious, like The Matrix, to, I mean, that new Ryan, um, what's his bucket? Ryan Reynolds film. I think it's called Free Guy, which is basically like Grand Theft Truman Show. You know, it's, it, it takes place in a Grand Theft Auto like thing. And he's one of the, he's one of the NPCs. He's a non-player character. But then the, the people with the sunglasses, which are the actual players, the, su- the sunglasses give you this super rad heads up display on everything that's going on and effectively is the symbol of his sort of Gnostic awakening. Right, it's Plato's yeah. allegory of the cave. Right, so the question is, is like, how do we do that? Right, and and I think again, Philip K. Dick <clears throat> uses that phrase, phrase anamnesis. He talks about how do we remember what we've forgotten, and fundamentally, it is potentially that nature of our abiding agency and point and purpose, the remembering of our yang quality versus yin imminence or 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 immersion, and so that. Those death rebirth protocols that I, you know, describe in the book, and we've been we've been riffing on a little bit, right? They seem to pretty fucking reliably deliver the experience of anamnesis. Now, what is yours to remember? What it is that you might have forgotten? That's yours and yours alone. But that we come, we all come into this world, as Wordsworth said, like trailing clouds of glory, right? But also amnesiacs, of forgetting what we'd remembered. Then, then we need processes by which we can smack each other with some selling, smelling salts, yep. you know, and a wet fish, and be like, "Hey, buddy, wake up! You're needed." And can we, and can we stabilize those moments so that they're not just lizard brain fuck monkeys tapping the button for more cocaine, right? Just dopamine trips, right? Yeah. Can, can we actually harness that hedonic circuit for stable? waking up, growing up, and showing up, right? Where we can say, hey, remember what you forgot, grow up, mend where you're broken, and then show up, find the least of your brothers and sisters. Well, first of all, find your fucking rocking brothers and sisters because you only crew to roll with. Then find the least of our brothers and sisters and lend a hand. Yeah, it's almost like we're all at a a sort of a techno drug party and everybody's so lost, confused, 
high and unconscious that nobody's woke up to the fact that somebody's going to have to restock the kitchen. Yeah, well, look, I mean, the party at the end of time right, is a, is a symptom, it's not a cause. Like if you ramp up our collective hedonic circuits, right, that fifth circuit that Leary was talking about, right, you end up with the best sex, the best drugs, the best music, the best partying, like you end up with Burning Man, basically, right, which mm-hmm. is fucking second to none as far as rad throwdowns. Now, has it jumped the shark in certain areas? Absolutely. It Was there still a ridiculously profound psychosocial technology that emerged there over the last 30 years without a doubt? And so you get to a place like that and everybody just loses themselves in the ooey gooey. And we forget what we came for, which was this is symptomatic of harnessing the hedonic circuit for access to the highest levels of consciousness. And I wouldn't even preface that with human consciousness, right? No, no. Right? So so we're sort of opening up wormholes and stargates in the fucking kitchen, but everybody's too soused to notice right that we completed the alchemical work and now the missions begin but everybody's fucking sideways or canoodling with someone else's missus (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i gotta (laughs) i I gotta just call you and i need to laugh because you certainly got the most ten dollar words that you can wrap up in humor i've ever seen one human being do um (laughs) Hi, everybody. One of my all-time favorite enzyme products in the world, bar none, is Masszymes from Bioptimizers. This is a broad-spectrum enzyme that works amazingly well, but since Wade Lightheart is co-founder of Bioptimizers and knows the intimate details of it, I wanted Wade to let us know how it is that Masszymes works so well. Wade, how does this product work so well? Well, first and foremost, it combines 17 different enzymes, including five different types of proteolytic enzymes, which work in the full spectrum, anywhere from two pH of two to a pH of 12. So it'll cover all your bases on whatever your digestive or dietary needs are. We also combined it with an enzyme enhancer called Astrozyme, which improves enzymatic function by 30 to 60%. There's no weird additives or flow regulators inside of it. And our recent research in our university lab in Europe has proven that it also produces antioxidants inside the body, which makes it doubly incredible. That's an amazing product. And I use it every day. I take five in the morning and five at night. And in the morning, I throw two Capex in just to give a little energy magic. And it's absolutely amazing. I feel fantastic. And even as a guy that's about to turn 60, I can still put it on the young guys. So thank you, Bioptimizers. To try Masszymes for yourself, go to Masszymes, M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S dot com forward slash living number four, capital D, and enter the code capital P, capital A, capital U, capital L, 10, that's Paul in all caps with a 10 behind it, to get 10% off this product and any other Bioptimizers products you'd like. And of course, Masszymes comes with Bioptimizers 100% money back guarantee. So there is no risk if you don't like it. Just send it back and you'll get your money back. Enjoy. Plotinus taught something very profound. He, he said that the soul has three qualities abiding, representing, and reflecting. Mm. So the abiding is the witness. Homo sapiens sapien means the animal that's aware that it's aware. 
So there's the aware that I'm aware. That's the capstone on the pyramid, on the dollar bill. It's rising above the pyramid where we keep representing, 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 but we're not reflecting and saying, Mm. are we representing something that's actually sustaining the party or are we just destroying everything? And I think that's where meditation and spiritual practices and worship comes in because that's when you actually reflect and say, wait a minute, you know, I can only be here because the plant kingdom's here. I can only be here because the animal kingdom's here. And they're only here because the archaic uh, level of consciousness is here, the mineral system and the soil system and the crystals in the middle of the earth that are picking up the cosmic information that's lighting the earth up like a, a lampshade to make it all live. So it seems to me that part of the problem is, is that we're, we're unaware of the abiding faculty because we're caught in the dream and we're not reflect or representing enough to realize that we just keep running this goddamn photocopy machine and publishing the same shit story over and over again. So I think part of what we've got to do is, is orient ourselves towards slowing down enough to say, I really just need to spend some time to defragment myself, have a look at what I'm creating in my life consciously or unconsciously, because the pain teacher is showing up with some pretty fucking sharp pitchforks these days. Yeah. And that's the one that bums me out, right? I've kept on saying we're lazy and we're efficient, right? So we're going to need pain. Basically, you need lots of pain to choose to change. That's just very straightforward and simple. My only concern, I mean, only is not the truth, but, but a significant <laughs> recurring concern is that by the time it hurts enough for us to actually be willing to make the hard choices, we no longer have those choices. So if I wait until the flash flood is actually soaking my sleeping bag because I wanted to ignore the rain through the night, it may be too late. That fucker may be coming down the canyon like a freight train. And so that, like, what, this goes back to the. E.O. Wilson, you know, Paleolithic emotions and godlike technologies is is that we do not. I mean, I would say categorically do not. And COP twenty six in Glasgow has been, an, you know, another depressing example of it. But we simply do not have the capacity to act with the appropriate urgency or triaging of information and trade offs um, at the body politic level at the market level, and even at the you know national and state and community levels, much. I mean, there are specific micro communities that are getting their shit together, but not many. And many of them are are fear based and adversarial. They're perversely, you know, now rooting for the whole thing to come down to prove their whole you know system accurate. Um, but we just aren't built for this shit. You know, it's, it's Danny Glover, lethal weapon 101, just not built for this shit. And so it requires a lot of um, weirdly quite complex thinking to get to some very simple answers. Like, in, and there's a guy, Lawrence Gonzalez, who wrote a book called Deep Survival, which the subtitle is Who Lives, Who Dies, and Why. And he take a look, took a look at everything from airplane crashes, you know, to getting lost in the wilderness, to all these, to, to, the, to the Twin Towers collapse, to all these things. And he's like, look, most people, A, don't recognize the severity of the situation early enough. The people who live did, right? Yeah. There are people in the Twin Towers that were still, the first plane hit the tower, and there are people in the second tower continuing to answer their emails. Oh wow. Right? And and someone, you know, choosing, you know, choosing to go down the as the elevators cuz that's what they always do versus taking stairs. There were, you know, examples of 
plane crashes where like a flamed out hard, you know, bust the landing gear, crash landing, you know, at an airport with the plane on fire, the chutes go out and people are still getting up and reaching to the overhead bins to take off their, their carry-ons because that's what you do when you leave a plane, yeah. right? And those kinds of rote behaviors and then what seems reasonable to do at this time, because I don't want to be an asshat and no one else seems to have twigged onto this and I, didn't, I wouldn't want to panic or do whatever, whatever. Um, we've got a lot of those cognitive biases as well. And you look around and you see, well, who, who is getting ready? And you're like, oh, those are preppers. Those are fucking wing nuts. That's like Duck Dynasty MAGA people. That's not my brand, right? And people then just sit back down and go back to thumb scrolling and fucking having Twitter wars. And you're like, well, that's probably not a great option either. Nope. Uh, yeah. And you know, the other thing too, Jamie is we're, we're playing with very big, dangerous toys these days. I mean, we've got enough nuclear weapons to destroy the entire planet 179 times over. If you've, have you studied or read the book, the invisible rainbow by Arthur Furstenberg? I haven't. Well, that'll shock you right to the fricking core when you see all the research and what all the electronics are doing to the planet and to people and to nature Hmm. from top to bottom and it's just jacked with great it's one of the best books in my library and it's shockingly potent and you know with 42,000 satellites and another 26,000 plus going up for 5g and all the radiation on the planet my point is we are playing with big a lot of big dangerous toys at the same time any one of which can can just put us into checkmate and it seems to me that we we need to get to the wake up part of the wake up, clean up, glow, grow up and show up pretty damn fast because a lot of the people that are the ones making and using and, and controlling these technologies seem to be completely oblivious that we're a long ways from anywhere and we're running out of gas. <laughs> yes, we are, which is why I wrote a book that was intended to be like the seed bank. Right. Yes. I think we're I think we're fucked. <laughs> is the TLDR of it. I think there is no way there is not a mighty hard landing coming. The, 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 the nation state is a fucking experiment less than 300 years old. It is an aberration. The, the bioregional city state is and feudalism are far more durable structures. It's not to say we couldn't come up with something cooler in time if we got lucky or or brave. Um but those are our default structures, right? And I mean, I mean that riff of like, you know, feudalism sounds, you know, like alarmist or Game of Throny. You're like, no, just take a, take a look anywhere in the world. Toyota Hilux pickup trucks mounted with 50 caliber fucking machine guns on the back are the equivalent of a, bata- a cavalry of war horses. And you just, you know, you trade crossbows for AK-47s and broadswords for machetes. We're there, you know, Central Republics of Congo, like what's happening in Asia, what's happening in South America with narco states. Like that's actually the way almost all humans post hunter gatherer egalitarian bands have always organized. Might makes right. And you fucking, and it's the devil, you know, that you cozy up to and pay tribute to and like shit like that in a destabilizing situation. I mean, I mean the things that, that I would, again, they don't keep me up at night, but the ones I would want to communicate if people aren't tracking these are simple things. Like one, the Paris Accords that attempted to set things at one and a half degrees Celsius raise, on the one hand, aren't happening. Nope. And on another hand, already had baked in fuzzy math. 
like carbon sequestration technology of shit that doesn't exist yet. There's only one. It's in Vancouver, and it's up and running at the cost of you know tens of millions of dollars, and can take away three seconds of carbon out global carbon output after running for a year. Now, granted, there's all sorts of scale issues, et cetera, et cetera. But like the tech deployed at scale effectively is baked in already to 1.5. And that's like saying Santa's going to come and save our asses at the end. Like that's like you've done this big annual report and like that's your asterisk as to how you get the math to work. And then the Washington Post just did a huge study post COP26 on all the country's reportings of the carbon they are burning and like Malaysia's fudging their fucking numbers. They're saying they're getting, they've got the same amount of carbon sequestration as Indonesia, which has five times the forest. There are other countries that are claiming they have as much carbon offset as Russia. Everybody's making shit up and nobody even has to report all international tankers and jet airliners. So all shipping and all trade is kind of in the no man's land of the commons and people aren't even getting held accountable for it. So you're like, okay, that's ludicrous. And then the final, and the final piece is, once again, we've got paleolithic emotions and godlike technologies and we are utterly incapable of risk assessing exponential versus linear change rates. So even though it's intuitively obvious the idea that we're at 1.1 degrees right now and everybody's like 1.5. Well, that's four tenths worse. That's 40% worse than now. Could we handle 40% worse than now? Probably. So that's probably not such a big deal. So two degrees, that's pretty much twice as bad as now. Can we handle twice as bad? Wouldn't want to, but I bet we could and we'll engineer our way out of the worst of it. But that's not actually what's fucking happening at all. The oceans have absorbed 96% of the therm excess thermal generation that we've got right now. Like It's like we have stretched, stretched a rubber band to the fraying, almost breaking point, and then telling ourselves the story, we could stretch it twice as far again because it hasn't snapped yet. You know, it's the old cartoon of the dude sailing off a cliff and, you know, the optimist sailing off a cliff going, so far, so good. You know, yeah. like we are 100% in the so far, so good. And 1.5 degrees could be 10 times as bad as current. It could be 100 times as bad. You've got complex chaotic systems interlocking with each other and destabilizing each other. So you have polar sea ice, you have the, you know, the subversion of the Atlantic current, right? Which, is, which makes England, which is as far north as Nova Scotia, able to grow apples you know, and be balmy, right? You have the inversion of ocean currents. You have the, you know, the dislocation of the jet stream because of ice melts. You have, you have the, the increase in CO2 and the decrease in food concentration and protein and, and ca caloric density, right? Yep. Which is going up, you know, already 15 to 18% now and potentially higher with further sea rises. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that can happen all at once. And it was just like California last year where they're like, wait a second, we're in COVID quarantine and there's wildfire evacuations. Who the fuck is scheduling this stuff? This isn't okay. This is this shouldn't be allowed. And you're like, yeah, this is exactly, weirdly, tragically, ex how it's going to be happening. <laughs> you know, there's no double there's no there's no double immunity, right, from the shit show. Nope. Once it starts happening. And there's no double immunity anyhow. That's another fucking scam. Yeah, so so just, so you know, long story short is is my sense is is that yes, we need to get right with Jesus, right? You need like everybody needs to sort of meet their maker, right? Whatever that looks like for for you, get really clear on what you forgot and what's yours to do. Abandon hope, all ye who enter here, right? It's time to set aside childish things 
and the entitlement, the really childish entitlement of being a deconditioned zoo animal of the baby boomer Gen X or millennial generations that were spat out into a world of completely unearned and unsustainable excess consumer abundance and the hyperinflation of narcissistic hothouse flower consumer identities where everybody gets a fucking trophy and can grow up to be president. Let's fucking, let's be really grateful that we got, we won the lottery and we're born in those times and places. And then let's, you know, sack the fuck up for a walk-on part in the war, for carrying forward as many humans as we possibly can through a keyhole event of potentially historic epochal and epic proportions, and commit to being defenders of goodness, truth, and beauty, and, and, and warriors for light in a time of potential gut-wrenching darkness. You know, having meditated on this a lot, because the more you're tapped into what's really going on, like you and I obviously are, I'll tell you the, the I've come up with a two step solution to balancing the shit show. Step one, which <laughs> is, is a first attempt is shut the fucking power off to all the major television stations and collapse the brainwashing machine so people have to start paying attention to what's going on around them in their relationships and water the plants in their living room and pay attention to what's going on in the world. And step two is either we need a solar flare of massive proportions to knock the electronics out on this planet. So everybody has Ooh. to get back to ground zero and say, oh, okay, like how a, do we like a groovy EMP that we can yes, blame exactly. on? We can blame on the Chinese. Yes. But, do that. but either I don't give a fuck if it's a Chinese <laughs> pulse weapon, but if you think about it, if we knock the power systems out, so people had to go back to the earth, and back to each other, and back to supporting each other with tangible goods and services and barter. It, it, it's, I got butter. What have you got? I'm a massage therapist. I'm, I've got meat. Th that, to me, is about the only way to stop the, the, the carnival and, and mm -hmm. say, you got to pull the plug on this goddamn thing and get back to basics. And, and the reality of it is, We'll lose a shitload of people because there's a lot more, you know, Steiner said. Rudolph. Yeah. Yeah. Rudolph Steiner said he predicted that in the future there would be a third world war and that the United States would become a third world country and that India or China would be the next superpower. Now he's saying this in the late 1800s and that most people in the Western world would rather commit suicide than live the way they had to live when the power transfer took place. Which is very early, right? Think about how much more reliant people were a century ago when he was saying that. Yes. Right? Crazy. He, he also warned in 1925 that in the future, there would, they would manufacture vaccines that would kill the connection to the soul and that the world would become extremely materialistic. And, mm. and ultimately, that would be the uh, hand of cards that would be laid down. And here we all are. Did you know that symbiotica means harmony? And you're really likely to enjoy my podcast with Sherveen Jafariah, the founder of Symbiotica. 
Symbiotic is an amazing company that makes excellent products to aid healing, enhance longevity, and improve performance at all levels of your being, from your spiritual practices to your athletic endeavors. I highly recommend you go to Symbiotica.com and check out their top-notch organically sourced products that include excellent tasting supplements like their Synergy Vitamin B12, which elevates energy naturally, to their Shilajay Minerals, which help you better regulate your hormonal system. Their biocharge-activated coconut charcoal is an excellent detox support and removes toxins and poisons from the body quickly and non-invasively. Their organic longevity formula is one of my friends and students' favorites. They rave about it. I really enjoy their Regenesis Liposomal Glutathione for its amazing antioxidant powers, which is really helpful for anyone that enjoys vaporizing tobacco and herbs like I do. They also have great immune support products, water filtration options for drinking and showering, and some cool clothing and more. When you go to C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com and use your Living 4D discount code, which is capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15 on checkout, you get 15% off anything they sell and you won't be disappointed. Enjoy Symbiotica. I personally see the only way out of this thing is we've got to disconnect from the brainwashing devices and cut the billionaires off with their tech-savvy electronic jail shit and bring us right back to relationships and to connection to nature because there will be no more supermarkets, no more traffic lights. We'll have to go back to paying attention to each other and to the world or die. Yeah, this was a pizza hut. Now it's a field of daisies. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I I don't see any other way out of it. Honestly, you know, I, I think... We need to unplug this fucking thing. Well, I mean, and, and the irony slash comic retribution is that the people who will handle it the best will be villages in Costa Rica and Ecuador and Nepal and Africa and everywhere else where they've always been on the edges of subsistence, local local subsistence economies and broader market economies. And like their world will actually more or less stay quite similar. It's the ones who are addicted to shopping malls and Amazon that are going to be fucked. The, the, the step down is acute for that. Abs- like I've outsourced all my, all my survivability to a system I have no understanding of or ability to recreate. Yep. Amen right? to that. It's, it's <laughs> just, it's a fact. And, and I, I, I don't think you know, I'm a realist and people don't like it when I talk the way you and I are talking right now, but I'm like, you, you got to call a spade a spade or you're going to lose the fucking poker game before you start. Well, well, well here's the thing. Let, let me take a cut at this because I often find myself parked in this part of the conversation and it is important, right? Because it's typically, this is, you know, it's that Oliver Wendell Holmes, like I don't give a shit about the simplicity on this side of complexity, but I give my life for the simplicity on the other side. To get to that other side, you got to wade through all the complex stuff, which can be stressful, can be confusing, can be overwhelming, can be time consuming. But, right, like the simplicity on the other side is being a twice born human who is connected to the planet we live on, who does take a stand for clean water, air, and soil, who, who has remembered what they've forgotten, right, and, and is finding the others and bearing witness, right, to this human experience. You know, with dignity and courage and grace. So the question is, is how do we do that in a way, back to that whole deconditioned zoo animals, consumers, right? Thinking, being conditioned to expect and want solutions from me now. And I, th- and I think one of the biggest ways is being twice born, right? Like getting stably connected to Kairos or deep time 
or the deep now or sacred time, take your pick, right? But like yeah. source information, the eternal abiding, and then actually reboot, like reclaim a capacity that most civilizations have always had, right? They've always had ancestor worship and they've something that whether it's the Greeks, the Koreans, Japanese, you know, you Chinese, name, China, right? Right. Huge amounts of like, okay, we're just one turn of the wheel. Everyone who's come before us is, 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 you know, we are living on their behalf. In fact, Thich Nhat Hanh has that beautiful, not quite poem, but verse. He's like, you know, it's a guided meditation. He's like, breathe in and breathe in for all of your ancestors and breathe in and feel the suppleness feel the freeness, feel the expansiveness and the vitality, and then realize maybe not all my answers has got to be this supple, this expansive, and this free, and breathe on their behalf so they can feel it, right? And you're like, fuck yes, like, like thank you, right? Because there's always that element of, especially these days and trigger warnings and fucking therapy and everybody, you know, masturbating over their micro traumas. There is a sense of like, it's my parents' fault. It's my grandparents' fault. It's, you know, it's all of these things. And it's like, man, if we walked a mile in their shoes, right? And if, and if we have the chance, whether it's through an ayahuasca experience or going to a transformational festival or good therapeutic work or whatever it might be to crack open and experience more, then can we really, can we really begrudge them getting us an ember or a flicker. Like if we were able through the good, you know, good grace and dumb luck to actually turn that spark into a fire that is now lighting our way, right? Is the first thing we do then turn back around and go, Puh, you should have given me more. You're like, no, a spark was enough. And I didn't walk a mile in your shoes and you carried it through much fucking harder conditions through rain and sleet and snow and dark of night to get it to my lucky ass. So then, the, then everything is redeemed in the unfolding and I've got nothing but gratitude for all the imperfect humans that conspired to get me thus far. And oh, by the way, soon I'm one food and I'm going to be one of you for the generations not yet to be. And can I also hold it down, not with the need of a deconditioned consumer zoo animal wanting mine now. I'm going to do the hard fucking thing now, whether it pays off for me or not, because I'm now tethered through time and space and causation and dignity and legacy to the to those not yet born of my line. So I will keep on keeping on, and I will give every last fucking drop of blood, sweat, and tears to get to the land of milk and honey, even if I never set foot in it, so that my children's children might and that is robust, right? That is how, that's how the Ashkenazi, the Roma, the Kurds, indigenous, displaced indigenous communities, like that's how a bunch of people have kept on keeping on. Like that's radical hope. That's radical hope where you've gone from the childish juvenile notion of everything's going to work out for me to the bitter, depressed, nihilistic, nothing's going to work out facing, facing the music to everything ultimately works out even and especially if I can't see how from here. Well, you know, what comes up in me as you share that is that depends on two things that human beings have completely and utterly forgotten how to do and avoid doing. And that is sacrifice mm -hmm. and worship. Yeah. Th that, that boils down to honest sacrifice and worship. And I'm telling you right now, that means pain. It means being hungry sometimes. It means finding water, finding food. And it means seeing the beauty of the earthworms you got to eat because there's nothing else to eat. 
It's the Irish living off of potatoes. It's, it's the famines. It's the aboriginals in the desert. It's everything that's completely foreign to people that are eating the planet to death unconsciously right now. And I think that the, the first thing we ought to start doing is getting back to real worship and saying what, you know, I, here's an example I have given people. Look, there's water shortages all over the place. They, they many books say that the neck, the greatest uh, commodity is going to be water. It's going to be far more valuable than gasoline. And I say, okay, there's about 7 billion people on the planet, whatever it is right now. It's seven point something billion. I say, look, if the average toilet flush is three to five gallons, if we each flush the toilet one less time a day, you multiply three gallons by 7 billion people, that's 27 billion gallons of water. And all we had to do is just not flush the toilet once a day. Then you have to say, okay, do the math. How many people are willing to not flush the toilet and get over their germ theory bullshit and just not flush the toilet? And the point I'm driving at is if we all start making little sacrifices now, if one toilet flush can save 27 billion gallons of water, so can one little of this, so can a little bit of that. But we got to get clear on what we got to start sacrificing first, because sacrificing one less Dunkin' Donut or, or one less crest squeeze of toothpaste on your brush isn't the right kind of sacrifice. We got to really get clear. What do we need to start sacrificing to move in the direction of sustainability? Mm -hmm. I mean, the one the, there's a book called The Ministry for the Future that I give shout outs to all the time because it's it, it landed strongly for me. But it's basically it's Kim Stanley Robinson. He's a kind of Nebula Hugo Award winning sci fi writer slash futurist. But he basically just wrote the next thirty to forty years. And the Ministry for the Future is this kind of renegade UN organization that actually takes all the you know takes things to to action and 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 all the scenarios that, that, that potentially come from that. And one of the things that he mentions that is real in the world already is the two kilowatt society, right? And that is started in Switzerland. It's in like, you know, five or six major metros in, in Switzerland and Germany and other places. And it's basically people volunteering to live at two kilowatt energy consumption as a demonstration project that if we, you know, like the toilet flushing, if, if we reduced, if we all reduced to that level, that is a, that is the beginnings of a move towards equal sustainable energy consumption around the world and for comparison a US, average u.s citizen consumes 12 kilowatts and the two kilowatt society is 1500 kilowatts of renewables and then 500 i think of non-renewables and there's some relationship there with like maybe the 500 is kind of the equivalent of the two dollar a day it's like kind of what everyone else everywhere would need but that and, and what they've found is that the cities in europe that have adopted the two kilowatt society thing in some significant numbers um also correlate with many of the you know best place to live's highest cultural creative cultural capital and their intention was to say look we're trying to demonstrate that you can make a massive massive reduction almost a you can almost decimate your energy consumption right an order of magnitude less and actually experience increased happiness increased health increased social connections and capital more creative and reflective time overall life is better with less and we're showing everybody how that's possible with no trade-offs to the things that we actually give a shit about not like a gdp which counts setting coal on fire and building warheads as good things but some you know whether it's the bhutan bhutanese you know happen global happiness index or whatever you want to do but some other forms 
of assessing what we're doing and why, and what does privation or hardship or sacrifice actually mean, versus just just getting just getting much much more on point about our trade-offs of time and and energy and life force for you know return. Yeah, let's just uh, say that. Uh we need to get our compass bearings right and we need to do it pretty fast. And um, I think the spiritual concept common in Hinduism, the, you know, the death meditation, die before you die, <laughs> you know, hold your breath until you really know what it's like to want to be here. Um, mm, that's you know, a nice way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm honestly like, you know, yeah. you know, the, have you ever, I'm sure you've heard this one about the, kid that shows up to the martial arts master and he says i want to be a black belt and the master says fine and he shows him how to throw a front snap kick he says throw a hundred front snap kicks so the kid does and he comes back and the master says throw a hundred more and he comes back and he says did you do your hundred he said yes the master says throw a hundred more and the kid says i'm getting tired of this shit can't we do something else and the master said, yes, come over here. So he walks him over to a big water fountain and he grabs him by the neck, stuffs his head in the water, holds him under the water till he's about to drown. I like where this story's going, by the way. This yeah. <laughs> and so then the kid comes out of the water gasping for air and he looks at the kid and he says, when you're as hungry to learn martial arts as you were to breathe just now, come back and see me. Mm. Boom. There you go. I think. I think we've all got to hold our heads under the water till we really realize what we've got and we're ready to learn how to live. And the, po the point that I was going to share with you, it just came back. I believe censorship is a very dangerous thing because it's people that have the wisdom, be it the Thich Nhat Hans of the world or even you or any of us that have our heads screwed on straight get censored out anytime we infringe upon anybody that doesn't want to hear anything that they don't want to hear because they want to keep eating Dunkin' Donuts and getting shot in the arm and thinking someone else is going to rescue them from everything. So I, I really feel that in order for us to get our heads on right, we have to open the airways to the people like the guy you just mentioned that wrote that book about the energy saving, we have to get these guys front and center fast and censorship's not going to fucking let that happen because the people that are running the censorship machine are the ones that are making all the money off of keeping everybody going in the goddamn direction of being endless consumers. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think you might've been talking about two things at once there, right? One would be censorship, AKA tops down throttling from media or, or distribution platforms. The other is kind of bottoms up distraction or message mismatch, right? Yes. The, the people quitting Dunkin' Donuts, right? So, so, and, and, they, and they are also on the receiving end of the, all that deluge of other high octane weaponized algorithmically, you know, oriented messaging. So yeah, so, so, so that is a, that is a, that is a circular thing. And right. And at the same time, in the last three to five years, there's been this insane explosion of podcasts and alternative media. And I'm blown away by how many people come up to me in the world and mention 
you know, basically half a dozen of my friends, like people I actually hang out with in the real world, like, oh yeah, listening to so-and-so, listening to so-and-so, listening to so-and-so. And I'm like, where the hell do you have all this time? And if you're listening to this, these many in-depth conversations about relatively exploratory radical stuff, presumably I, I personally, I mean, I like to think, I mean, I don't even like to think I do consume a shit pile of media content. I'm always reading something and I don't have time for that. So I'm like, if these people have that much time for all of these podcasts, they are probably not also consuming more mainstream ones. Like this has now become primary information sources and intellectual stimulation and, you know, and community signal and, and boosting and, and, and sort of orienting to how the world works and what's happening now. And as a result of that, I'm also super optimistic, right? If you think, and, and weirdly, the censorship thing, I mean, this is the same with Bill Gates. Like in one week, it came out that his wife was divorcing him. He was more of a heel and a player than he'd ever let on with his nerdy cardigan thing. That the foundation was actually, you know, I mean, there's been lots of investigative reporting about, you know, the double dipping and the tax schemes and all that kind of stuff with the Gates Foundation. But then he also goes on the record that week in the midst of the Delta rampaging and killing millions in India propping up IP for big pharma, and then also somehow, whether it's you know, parallel investigations or leaks or whatever, oh, and now he's the largest owner of private farmland in America. And you're just like, face palm. You're like, buddy, you are just playing straight into the hands of the arch conspiracists, like true paranoiacs who would be like, he's, he's the antichrist and 666 patents and, you know, microchipping, microchipping us to Armageddon along with Davos and the great reset. And you're like, buddy, you did not have a good week, right. To, to like bring us all back to sanity. And the same thing with the tech platforms, utter bungling of censorship, whether this is YouTube or Facebook on vaccine orthodoxies. Like they've done just a ham fisted and, you know, and you might as well throw in Twitter banning and Facebook banning of Trump after January the 6th. Like it's all been too little, too late. And then when they started really doing it, they did it so badly that they've, they're now alienating tons of people in the middle. They're That's the beauty of it. Absolute firepower to the wing nuts who were seeing, who, you know, who were you sort of, you know, flinching at the shadows for the last five to 10 years, and now providing utter confirmation bias that something really is rotten in the state of Denmark. We should never fucking trust our leaders, right? And we've got a total and utter collapse of epistemic authority, which is, you know, hence the rise, you know, and mutation of podcast land, which on the one hand, you can always find the channel where people are fucking singing your tune. And on the other hand, there's a bunch of whack nuts out here that are not getting fact checked nearly fast enough to counteract their mushrooming influence. Yes. And there's also this huge uprising of this whole Jesus is going to come back and save us. And, you know, that story is just dangerous as all hell too, because that keeps people being passive and doing the same stupid shit, waiting to get rescued by their mythological God. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the, again, I think that, that was Thich Nhat Hanh who said the, the next Buddha will be a Sangha, right? So the next savior will be a community. And that second sense of going, wait, instead of waiting for the second coming, start rooting for the umpteenth coming, right? Where yeah. we, we're all waking each other up. So it's no longer remarkable or sensational. You can't write a book and fucking hit the workshop circuit. You know, like this is just the next logical stage in human unfolding and maturation.
And we need as many good people come sourcing from that place of resilience and inspiration, you know, and, yes, yep. and trustworthiness as we can possibly manage. So let's get as many people across that threshold as we can, you know, just in time for the end of time. Yep. Well, you, 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 you made a, a damn good contribution. So uh, namaste to you, buddy, because hmm. you, you definitely put your rubber on the road with uh, Recapture the Rapture. <laughs> here's my here's my last question for you. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, mm -hmm. but you could get a message to the people of the world, what would it be right now? Hoof, hoof. Um, yeah, believe what you want to believe. Just never lose the faith. Stay awake, build stuff, help out. You know, when I was a paratrooper, what they drilled into our heads every day? Stay alert and stay alive. <laughs> Beautiful. Jamie, what a pleasure. Where where would you like to direct people to find out more about any of your work, your project, uh, anything that you'd like to share as we close out? Mm, super easy. So you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at like Flow Genome, I think. And then for the book, uh, recapturetherapture.com. And for our organization, and we do, we just came out of, you know, doing two weeks of like Navy SEAL buds training for the apocalypse in the Utah Canyon. So like super high end consciousness. <laughs> you're, you're ready. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. We, I mean, this is what we've always done. This is our life. But, but if, you know, if you want to plug into live events or online courses and training that help like upload some of these things, then flowgenomeproject.com. Those are Perfect. the gems. Well, I've, to say that I enjoyed this conversation would be an understatement. Uh, wow. Thank you for everything you're doing and, and uh, let's uh, sacrifice and worship and, and uh, pray together. No doubt, man. Great to jam. Yeah. All right. Thanks everybody. Thank you to the sponsors. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Hope you, uh, hope you were sitting still to listen to this dose of reality. Um, sometimes the truth isn't easy to swallow, but, there's nothing better than the truth. So uh, thank you to all of you, and let's all work together. We, we still have time to correct course and get back to core principles and do it out of love and respect for each other and, and for the planet, uh, because the only other option is screen to black, and uh, there's where you get to hold the faith that Jamie was talking about. So <laughs> lots of love. See you next time. We are safe, we are home, we are whole. Aho, great spirit. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Jamie Wheel. You can follow Jamie on Facebook and Instagram at Flow Genome or find out more about Jamie's courses and training at flowgenomeproject.com. Pick up a copy of Jamie's latest book, Recapture the Rapture, at recapturetherapture.com or at amazon.com and all good booksellers. Once you have your copy, get the free Homegrown Humans Toolkit from recapturetherapture.com so you can learn to boost your creativity, rekindle your relationships, revitalize your body, and answer once and for all the questions of why we're here and what to do now. Follow Paul Check on Instagram at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4d with Paul Check. 
Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to Czech videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chekiva.com. Remember, you can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. <laughs>